I want us to take a second. Uh, if you, most of you uh, may have seen a five by seven card. So I want you to just like pick it up. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm assuming most of you have pens. If you don't, there's some, in the, there's some at the back table. Um, but I would like for us to take one second. I'm going to uh, push us to a slide uh, that is coming up. And Aubrey sort of led us a bit in this earlier this morning. Uh, the next slide, uh, the one after that. What words would you use to describe your soul or the state of your soul this morning? And so just take, take a second, uh, maybe like 30 seconds, and just as you're thinking, I just want you to write down a word or two or three. Um, some of us in here are kind of, uh, our souls may be a bit malnourished, or we don't re- even know what that means, so we may have like simple grunts or words like angry or sad or happy. Um, but it could be a whole slew of things. So just take a moment um, and just, just, take a, just write down what words would you dis- use to describe your soul this morning. So now I'm going to make us do something really uncomfortable. I want us to turn to our neighbors, uh, hopefully one that you're not related to uh, in some ways. So you might have to go either frontwards or backwards. But I just want to take us a moment just to share uh, the words that you wrote down. Um, so that will involve some talking, uh, and that's okay. So in fact, I'm going to ask you to do this. Can you stand up and do that? Kind of like, if you're able, stand with us and just have a quick conversation about the words that you put on your paper. You don't have to explain why, just, just share them with someone. All right, yeah, you can find your seat. Uh, in fact, if you want to sit someplace different, go for that. That's okay. <clears throat> So I just want to ask that you would uh, just listen along to a passage of Scripture uh, that is found in Luke chapter 5. Um, but before we get there, how many were surprised by the words that quickly came out onto the paper, just a show of hands? So two of us, okay. Anyone else? Three of us? I mean, when I say raise your hand, like, you don't have to do this. It's okay. I'm not going to call on you, I promise. Okay, some of us, yeah. How many of us, was it a little bit strange or did you notice tension in your words? Anyone? Like you might really good but really frustrated or good and sad. Anyone notice tension? Yeah. Okay. Great. Awesome. Well, you're screwed up. Um, There's nothing else I can tell you. (laughs) I want us to focus on a passage. Uh, It's in Luke 5, verse 12 through 16. And uh, it says this, once when he was in one of the cities, there was a man covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you choose, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I do choose, be made clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he ordered him to tell no one. Go, he said, and show yourself to the priest. And as Moses commanded, make an offering for your cleansing for a testimony to them. But now more than ever, the word about Jesus spread abroad. Many crowds would gather to hear him and be cured of their diseases, but he would, withdrew to, he would withdraw to deserted places. And so some of you may be thinking, okay, we just talked about words that our soul sort of is rec- are recognizing this morning, and then we read this passage about leprosy. A few months ago, I was um, doing a training for some missionaries who were about to be sent out, and we read this passage, and I said, what do you notice about this passage? quickly, some of the things that we notice are, we notice things like 
oh, I don't know, the leprosy, the, uh, you know, a guy being completely healed. Uh, we notice the, the activity and the action. We begin to see God doing all these, ama- Jesus doing all these amazing things. And it was so interesting because it's, we, we noticed all the action. And I paused for a minute and I said, what's the thing that's really, what, what, what does Jesus do? And it took him like four minutes to really come to the place when I finally had to say, hey, it's really at the end. And it says, but he would withdraw to deserted places and pray. And it's funny because a lot of times, as we should, we are drawn to the miracles. We're drawn to the miraculous. We see these amazing things because it's not just a miracle. It's a life fully restored, fully healed, fully put back together. But in the midst of that, what we miss is that Jesus went away, that Jesus rested, that Jesus withdrew to deserted places where the cell phone service and the internet access was gone, to be affirmed by the Father and to have his identity reformed. And so we're in the midst of a series as a community looking at the greatest commandment Uh, which has been masterfully taught on a few weeks ago, looking at the the phrase mind, and the the passage we're looking at is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. And so this morning, we're going to be taking a look at what it means to love God with our soul. Mind and heart make a lot of sense to us. They may feel a lot more concrete. But as we think about the word soul this morning, I am sorry, but I'm going to usher us into a philosophical debate that has been going on for thousands of years. And we're going to try to move through it very quickly. We begin this morning in this debate, and the question is formed around this. What is a soul? And so the truth is that our Western culture has sided with the Greek. Uh, specifically with Aristotle and Plato, and they talked about, not Plato, but Plato, they talked about the idea of, of, of a human has these two very distinct pieces. We have a soul, and we have a body. And so the idea of this, of what, of what Platonic dualism talks about, is that everything that is spiritual is soul-related and is good, and everything that is physical or material is shadow and not as good, or in some places, it's even bad. Now, for those of you who are philosophy people, you're like, man, you're leaving this way too short, but I don't have time to get into all of this. But what we need to understand is this is far from the biblical view of what a soul is. Uh, When Jesus says, love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, he is not thinking compartmentalization but he is looking at this as a whole. Dallas Willard had this really unique way of looking at it. And so our heart or our will is sort of the, the, the part of us in the middle, sort of our desire comes from. The mind is the reason and logic in the space where, where, where we really enter into thinking and how that works. And our body is the physical part of what we are, the thing that we can touch and feel. It also, uh, a better understanding, it's like everything that we have and everything that we are. And the soul is the piece that, that, that covers all of it or somehow it works through the entire idea. 
and the entire being of who we are. It's the soul that drives our life. Or uh, for computer folks, it's the operating system that runs our lives. And we don't really know it's there until it crashes or things slow down. But it is the most interconnected part of who we are. It's a little bit difficult to really talk about because the English word soul is translated from a Hebrew word, which is nephesh. Can you say nephesh? Nephesh. And the word nephesh translates literally to the word throat. But it also is used as, as, as people, as translators have, have tried to work through the word. It's also been used as uh, words like life or neck or person. Um, but the idea is that it's this earthly, physical term. But we don't say, love the Lord your God with all of your throat. That just sounds a little bit weird. But to understand in, in a Hebrew understanding of the word for soul, it is connected to the whole person. That's where when we look at our cards, we see emotive languages. Things like, I felt longing this week, or flustered, or hope-filled, or tired, or weary, or guilty. And the biblical fact is this, we do not have a soul. You do not have a soul, but you are a soul. And let's take just a really brief look at how Scripture uses this word. In Genesis 2, God formed man out of the dust and breathed into his nostrils, and the dust became nephesh, became soul. Psalm 23 says, he refreshes my soul. Psalm 63, my throat, my soul thirsts for you. My soul is satisfied. My soul clings. Psalm 42, my soul pants and thirsts. Psalm 43, why my soul are you so downcast? Isaiah 58, 11, your soul will be restored and you will be a source of restoration for others. Habakkuk 2.4, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. See, Dallas Willard explains the soul like this. You are a soul made by God, made for God, and made to need God, which means that you were not made to be self-sufficient. But we were made in the image of a triune God built and wired for community with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We are hardwired to join with God in his mission, to find our identity, our life, and our worth in the Trinity. And the hardest thing for us to hear is that we are not self-sufficient. You are not self-sufficient. In recent history, self has taken place of the soul. John Ortberg writes, To focus on my soul means to look at my life under the care and connection to God. To focus on myself apart from God means losing awareness of what matters most. He goes on to write that in the Journal of American Medical Association, there was a, there was a study done that indicated that in the 20th century, people who lived in each generation were three times more likely to experience depression than folks in the generation before them. Psychologist Martin Slegman says this, and he has no religious axe to grind. His theory is that it's because we've replaced church, faith, and community with this tiny little unit that cannot bear the weight of meaning. And that unit is self. 
And the truth is, the more we obsess and focus on self, the more we begin to neglect our souls. And we hear it in language, popular phrases like, be true to yourself, pick yourself up by the bootstraps, find happiness within yourselves. However, what do we do if our self is a train wreck? What do we do if our self leads us to very dark places? See, because I'm convinced that self looks inward and you become the center of your own universe when self is there. But our soul, the deep connection with God, reorients our entire beings to who we are made to be in the image of God. It places God at the center and in turn helps us to see the world around us in love. Now, if our soul is an operating system that runs our life, we need to understand a few things. Number one, it can crash. And so how do we know if our soul is about to crash? Think about these questions. Do I numb or run from pain? Do I lie to myself? Do I lie to others? Do I hide? Do I hold a grudge? And the truth is, if we answer yes to any of these questions, our soul is ready to crash. But my friends, there is hope. Our souls can find health and healing in God and God alone. That's what we are designed for. We are created by God and for God. And our soul's deepest desire is to be with God. One of the most powerful crash avoidance tools for the toolbox of our lives and of our souls is a vulnerable practice called confession. And confession is leaning into the pain. It's unclogging the pipes of our life so that God's love can come flooding in and it is the only way that our soul is healed and finds rest and home. Sin splits and breaks oneself's relationship with God, with the way we view ourselves, with others, and with the creation around us. And when we experience forgiveness from our sins, Jesus heals our soul. As we have sinned against one another, when we hear forgiveness and reconciliation happens, there's something that is released with inside of our own lives, and we begin to experience freedom. A few of us met earlier this week to talk about the teaching, and we had a fantastic time. It felt like throwing spaghetti up on a wall, and some things stuck and some things didn't. But one thing that Aubrey reminded of us, reminded us of was the truth that's found in the scripture of James 5.16, where it says, confess your sins to one another. Confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with because God longs for our souls to be in the place where he is. When I think about the idea of confession, one of my most favorite stories in the last six months of confession was hanging out at baptism on the banks of the river as a community. And there was this powerful thing that Mary said, that Mary Mangum said. She said, when I came to God with all my stuff and all my brokenness, what happened I didn't expect? I was met with love and forgiveness, not condemnation and guilt. Because when we put our souls in a place of confession, 
what we find as we meet the God who loves us, who longs to be in relationship with us, who created us to be in relationship with Him. And so I want us just to take a moment this morning and just sit in silence with Jesus. What might we need to confess? What may the Spirit be bringing to the surface? And I'm not going to ask you to share those things with the neighbors around you, but I do want us to take courage and spend a moment back with our card and just sit with the Lord in silence and just ask Him, Lord, what do you want to bring to mind? Lord, as we reflect back on the words that we wrote, the, the place where our souls are, and as we trust that you are bringing things to the surface, things of confession, things that we need to put before you. Lord, I'm thankful that we're reminded with a God who loves us and forgives us and frees us. A God who does not hold our souls captive or condemn or pile guilt upon guilt, but one that erases the things that are holding us. So Lord, I ask that your spirit would just breathe freedom into our souls in the places where we confess this morning. Amen. And so as we talk about soul work, one of the things that we really need to pay attention to, uh, there's, a, there's a passage I just want us to just sit with for a moment. And the questions that are asked. I love the way Eugene Peterson translate this, translates this. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. My friends, soul work is deep work, and it begins in confession. But how do we cultivate a healthy soul? And again, the way we do it is slow. I'm convinced that it is learning to pause with purpose. It's learning to observe what we are feeling and thinking. It's looking for the inconsistencies or the flare-ups and inviting God into that space. I love what Aubrey said, wherever you are, God is coming into that place where we are. He doesn't run away if we're grumpy. He presses in. But even as we understand that the best operating systems have crashed because a lot of us have experienced our souls crashing from time to time, one of the things that I have learned from the metaphor of the computer and how it continues to teach me about how much I really don't know is the idea of updates, the things that seem to keep the operating system running and building in health. And if you're Mac users, you have had a lot of updates in the last few months. But historically, the idea of Caring for our souls is one of these things that we understand very much as associated with a contemplative life. And by contemplative, I mean the internal life or the life that is below the surface, the quiet, the still, the reflective, and the unhurried life. It's a life that has a two-part rhythm of work 
and rest. And we all recognize that this kind of life can be very difficult to cultivate in the world in which we live in. It takes brutal intentionality, and it needs to be tethered to Jesus. And so as we think about how do we actually love God with our soul, there are many disciplines and practices that will help us cultivate a healthy soul, to be a healthy person. Uh, These things help us. Um, But the one that I want to focus on this morning and take seriously is the practice of Sabbath, um, as it is the starting place of where our souls are updated, are reconditioned, and are trained to love God. And the truth about all of us is we face an amazing temptation that continues to tell us that we need to be something or someone. To always be on, to always be connected. And Sabbath is the space where we learn to just be. It is a realignment and it is in God's word and his world that he invites me. And it's being reminded that the world in which I live is not my world, but it is God's world. And so many of us, our days are like this. We begin at dawn with the cell phone alarm. We check the weather, Instagram, Facebook, news, email, scarf down coffee, and off we go. If we're late, our anxiety comes out, we get frustrated. Uh, We may or may not throw a hand gesture out the window. We may get frustrated with slow drivers, but we get to work. We work through our lunch break most of us some days because there's so much going on. We rush out to the car to sit in traffic. When we get home, we eat. We get things done that didn't get done earlier in the day. Maybe we check our work email before we go to bed. We answer calls. We binge watch something on Netflix, and then we go to bed. Day in and day out. And then the weekend comes, and it gets even crazier. And if you're a stay-at-home parent, it feels like you did a million things with nothing to show but an alive kid. Does does this sound familiar to anyone in this room? Okay, yeah. Moms are like, yes, you got it. So what is Sabbath? What does Sabbath mean? Why is this practice important for us? And the truth is, I've cried with many of you as we've talked about the busyness of life, as we've talked about, we've wrestled with how do we create a culture within our homes, within our places, where we're not known by what we do, but by who we are. So much of our lives are wrapped up in activity that we've forgotten how to rest. And because of that, our souls have become untethered and damaged and broken. We've been seduced by the temptation that our identity is wrapped up in what we do and what we produce instead of who we are. And consumerism wires us that way. I'm not going to go off on that. But we do believe that if we only have this thing, then we will be happy. But when we get that thing, it continues to let us down because there's another thing that comes. Some of us have bought into the lie that if I'm busy, I'm important. And so just having the phone jingle or buzz, it just sort of sends this, this dopamine hit to our brain. I heard a, a guy on a fishing podcast call cell phones the electronic heroin of our day. And the way it just reaffirms and reinforces the fact that you are important. And this feeds into the psychology of our theology, the way that we think about who we are in light of who God is. If my boss likes me because I work so much, then God will like me if I do a ton of spiritual things. Sabbath means to quit, to stop, to take a break. Eugene Peterson says the word itself has nothing devout or holy in it. It is a word about time actually denoting the non-use of it. 
what we would call in our culture wasting time, uncluttered time, space to distance ourselves from the frenzy of our own activity so that we can actually stop and notice what's happening within our soul. And in order to understand Sabbath, it helps us to understand where Sabbath comes from. And so as the people of Israel, God's chosen people, are enslaved in Egypt, God pulls them out. He delivers them from slavery. He delivers them from being known by production and what they do. He delivers them from bricks per hour. He delivers them from their value being wrapped up in what they produce. And as God rescues this slave nation out of Egypt, he gives them this beautiful thing called the law. And he rewires them. And he gives them an identity and a culture. It's like a marriage covenant and it includes everything and, is, and it is laced. This idea of Sabbath that is given to the people of God is laced with a deep sense of justice. Sabbath is a place where God asked his people to do nothing and his promise was, I will provide for you on that day. What kind of God gives people a day off? This God who calls us to simply be one day a week and this is the day that I've noticed in my own soul that God recreates me. It's the day where I recognize that God loves me not for what I do, not for being a pastor, but he loves me for being Doug. And the quicker that I realize this, the quicker that we realize that Sabbath is a place of rest and a place to be, the quicker we jump into the God story of redemption, joy, and rest, and restoration. Because Sabbath is the space within our culture that our culture has rejected. And it gives us a space to pay attention to our soul, to be grateful, to experience joy, to slow down and eat a meal, to be fully present with others, to be open to God. As we read through, um, we've been working through the Gospels. Dave Vilecki is leading us through this really exciting time of reading all four Gospels during the season of Lent. And what I am so amazed with as I'm just about finishing up the Gospel of Matthew is how many times Jesus rests. That blows my mind. If I was Jesus, I would feel the temptation to always be on, to always be doing. There's always sick people. There's always stuff. There's always this, these things that have to get done. But Jesus, in the healthy place where he needs rest, withdraws to be with the Father. We see God is a God who rests. And so this idea of Sabbath is this beautiful tool and this beautiful gift to the people that call themselves followers of Jesus. It is a time to reject the busyness and to recognize that we are not made, we are not made to be people that only produce, and we are not known for what we produce, but we're known for who we are. And loving God with our souls keeps us connected with God, and our souls need time and space to be rewired and reworked. I think about soul a lot and what it means to have a healthy soul um, as I think about the beauty of flying on an airplane, um, or maybe some of us, the frustration part of flying on an airplane. 
But how many of you have been and you've, you've listened to the flight attendants and the steward and stewardesses, they, they say, hey, you know, just in case the cabin loses pressure, this thing's going to drop down from the top of your, you know, compartment. And then what you need to do is you need to frantically try to help as many people as you can, as quickly as you can, to make sure that they're all good. And then if you have just the last breath of oxygen, throw the mask on your face. You see, Sabbath is that beautiful reminder that God wants to be with me and that my job as a follower of Jesus is to put the mask on my face, to breathe in the truth of the Spirit, to breathe in the fact that I am loved for who I am, not for what I do. Because the truth is, if we do not take care of our souls, nobody will. Cultivating a healthy soul is not selfish, self-centered work. It is God-centered work. And we believe, and I love the passage that we read in Isaiah, that God restores us so that we can be a source of restoration to others. Because as we love God with our soul, it's actually about the mission of God, about being healthy so that we can reach out in love and concern for our neighbors and for the people around us. And so we're going to take a moment and do something that's brutally practical. Uh, if you have your phone, I want you to pull it out. And I want you to smack. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I want you to pull it out. And I want you to open up your calendar. And I want you to take a moment and look at your schedules. Where is rest? And I'm not talking about blank space. I'm not talking about space, oh, well, there's nothing in my calendar on Saturday. Where is the space that you have said, this is rest, this is Sabbath, this is where I am known not by what I do, but I am known by just being me. This is the space where I have decided to come and to connect deeply with the God of the universe, to be known by my inactivity instead of my activity. Where is the space? How many of you honestly, looking at your calendar, can, can say, I do not have rest anywhere. I do not have Sabbath anywhere on my calendar. Just raise your hand. Yeah, some of us, right? Yeah, okay, me too. My friends, if we're going to be people that love God with their soul, we have to recognize that we need spaces where we begin to plan for rest. Now, there's a few things that I just want to bring us to up to speed in in terms of being really practical. When it comes to planning a Sabbath, there's a question that is really important for us to understand. This is not a day where we drudge through, but it's a day where we, we have to answer this question. What gives me life? If you're a family, what gives us life? Uh, there's a great story. I love listening to the Beleckis talk about Sabbath. One of my favorite Sabbath stories that I ever heard was them. They said, we, we do something different. And one of their favorite Sabbaths was it took them rolling down a hill uh, down at Fisher Park. That was their Sabbath activity. Imagine the joy. Imagine the excitement. Imagine what it looked like. Talking to Aubrey, one of the things that they do is they have movie nights. They make popcorn. They hang out. One thing that we did for a while is we stopped having our kids make their beds because it's a day of rest. How do we rest? 
But my friends, what I want us to think about this morning is if we're gonna be people that love God with our souls, we need to be places where we're building rest in to pay attention to what our souls are saying, what our souls are doing, to have places where we are known not by what we do, but by who we are. Because our souls, they have a deep sense of longing. The psalmist talks about it in terms of our hunger and our thirst, and our souls long to be satisfied. And so this morning, I want to invite us to the table to celebrate that our God invites us to taste and see that he is good, that he loves you, that he forgives you, that he sets us right, and it is at this meal that our souls the all-encompassing essence of who we are, are invited to come and find its home in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is an opportunity for us to come to the table to rest in the love of God and to find our identity wrapped up in the Father, Son, and Spirit. And so we only have a few different rules that we have here at the table, and this is the first one. No perfect people are allowed. The second rule is this. If you're here to receive grace and mercy from Jesus, you are welcome at the table. Um, But what we're gonna do this morning is a little bit different as we come to the table. We're gonna lead some space uh, for us to just have some opportunity to reflect as we worship Jesus in song. And then the servers are gonna come up and when you see them come up, that's your cue to come and to receive the elements and to partake in the grace that God has to offer us. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your presence, for your life, for your love, and for a God who created us so interestingly that we have souls, these spaces where our whole life is interconnected into the person of you. Father, I ask that as we look at our calendars in this week, Lord, that you would convict our hearts to find spaces where we can be known not by our activity, but by our inactivity. And Lord, I ask that you would show up in our rest and that you would restore our souls and you would help us, Lord, to come to a place of having our identity completely rewired in the person of you. In your name we pray, amen.